Zion Williamson is still fat. <laughs> he is. You know, I, I truly believe that um, talking about Jim Grain, Crane gave me a bit of a headache. So we're going to move on to something a little less headache and tension filled. I just, you know, it's funny. I, I, uh, I, my dad always used to say, talk about knuckle dragon morons. Well, I think we can put Jim Crane in that category after what he's been through this week. But let's get on to some other stuff. Um, let's start in the NFL, uh, as we welcome you to this 461st episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. We are here. Hope, uh, wherever you are, you are well. Um, a nicer day today, I guess. Um, happy, val- belated, happy Valentine's Day to all the ladies that listen to Unscripted out there. Hope that your significant other took care of you. Um, in other happy, words hi nicole right exactly <laughs> hi nicole uh happy birthday to my wife judy who turns uh 29 plus tomorrow we won't tell her how many times plus 29 but uh happy birthday to my wonderful wife judy oh my wife just turned 33 the other day as well congratulations happy birthday martina i didn't know happy birthday um must be something with us in February, girls. Yeah, um, I don't know. But I don't know. She's 33 oh. now. I might trade her in for a newer model, like a yeah, trade right. her in for a 92. You could do better, right. Trade her in for a 93 or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, always, I always like to make fun of this, but my wife's birthday is the same day, same year as Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Michael Jeffrey Jordan turns 57 tomorrow. That's how old Judy is. I'm not supposed to say, but (laughs) same day, same age. The only difference is Michael was born in Wilmington, North Carolina, and my wife, Judy, was born in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Um, The National Football League, um, even though we're in the off-season, the National Football League is still making news and always will because uh, Jane Goodell's Husband's League has set themselves up in the sports vernacular to be talked about year-round. There's always something going on. And just think about this. As much as Chris and I despise the NFL scouting combine, it's only two weeks away. Um, I did find it funny before I get to my real news topic about the NFL. I found it interesting that both the Denver Broncos and the Los Angeles Rams made news yesterday by saying that they are cutting down on the number of people that they're sending to the combine this year and they think that that time spent is better spending watching film back in Los Angeles or Denver. Thank you. And I couldn't agree more. Oh, so good. Now, I know Thank that you. Coach McVeigh will make an opening statement and meet the media in Indianapolis next week or whenever the hell it, it starts, but then he's scheduled to fly right back to Los Angeles and get back in the film room. And Vic Fangio of Denver is basically doing the same thing. They're only sending a quarter or so of what they used to send, personnel-wise, send to the Combine. Because realistically, uh, I think somebody has finally realized that the Combine is nothing more than a big frat party, is what it is. And a lot of teams are now more focused on these individual campus workouts 
than they are convening at the steakhouses in Indianapolis. And um, again, forward thinking with the Los Angeles Rams and the Denver Broncos for admitting what Chris and I have felt for a long time, that the scouting combine is a waste of freaking time. Absolutely. And even if you think that it's not a waste of time, the thing is, if you want to find out what the results are of who uh, did the dash and the three cone and blah, 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 you just look it up. Yeah. They post it. You don't need to have watched it. No. If you want to know that a guy's fast, you don't, you know, I know that scouts like to think that, oh, it's all about, oh, I saw him good and whatever, but... You know, it doesn't matter. Good, yeah. It doesn't matter if you saw him good or not. <laughs> when you see when you see him run the hundred meter dash or whatever the heck they're running, the hundred yard dash, their numbers are posted. It's a number. It's objective. It doesn't matter for your friggin' scout's eye. Nobody cares. You don't need that. The only thing that's useful there is you get all these great prospects together and you can interview them. And if you want to find out something subjective and you want to find out what these guys are like. Uh, then I can see the case for, hey, all these guys are in one spot. Interview the guys you want. If you want guys that have character and integrity on your team, so you know, you're know you not Jim Crane because he doesn't know what those words mean. But if that's something that's important to you, as it should be if you're the owner of a franchise or the GM of a franchise or even the head coach of a franchise and you have to work with these young men, then I can see the importance of an interview. Now, the ironic thing, of course, is that's one thing the NFL really screwed up because all these guys would have these interviews and they would say stupid stuff like, oh, you know, are you gay? And is your mom a whore and all this stuff like they did to Darius Geis, for example. And it's like, and then they just ruin the whole thing and make it a complete joke. And you're just like, oh, is he going to cry? Like, shut the fuck up. You d you're the dumb frat boy, not the guy being interviewed, you dumb scouts. So if you're going to be mature about it and do it properly, yeah, go there. You got all the guys in one place. Interview the young men that you're interested in, that you want to see what they're made of and what kind of character they have, and then fuck off and go home. And you want to look up the results? Great. Look up the results. They're all posted on the internet. I can see them just as well as anyone else, and then do that. But other than that, the stupid NFL combine is a fucking waste of time. I think the Rams and the Broncos have started something here. Yes. And I really believe that you're going to see... I mean, because look at it this way. They invite all these guys. They get X amount of visits that they can invite these guys to their training complexes anyway yeah. and study them yeah. and interview them and test them. And, um, they're, you know, the Rams and the Broncos are making the NFL combine obsolete. And mm -hmm. I would think that they would be smart just to disband with it in a couple of years because realistically, like we've just said, they can go and interview Chris Chris Fluke, the big defensive tackle from wherever, and they can bring him to their facility. And I don't again with these all these visits and these college visits and all these other stuff, they're making the combine obsolete. And God darn it, it's about time time. Um, I guess obviously the biggest news from the National Football League this week is that the NFL uh, did sit down with suspended Browns. Is he a defensive end or outside linebacker? I have him as an outside linebacker. Uh, well, he's a defensive end because he's a classic edge yeah. pass rusher. Oh. But, you know, depending on if somebody's, you know, if it's a 3-4 or 4-3, right. whatever. But, right. um, yeah, no, he's, he's to me, he's a classic defensive end, rush around the edge and try to tackle the quarterback, and that's it. Right. But Miles Garrett on Thursday met with, uh, well, previous to Thursday, he met with Roger Goodell and his people at uh, the offices of the National Football League at One Park Place in New York City. And uh, he was reinstated on Thursday by the league from his suspension. 
but uh, remember back on Monday Night Football back in November when we had the altercation Steelers-Browns in Cleveland, and it, according to Miles Garrett, started with a racial slur by Steelers backup quarterback Mason Rudolph. And um, Rudolph is sticking to his story that he never said what Garrett is claiming that he said. I believe there had to have been something like that for Garrett to go crazy like he did, ripping off a helmet and using the helmet as a weapon. Um, I knew that this was going to happen. I just think for my purposes, my taste level, my comfort level, and I know the NFL isn't calling me because they'd be smart if they were to call Chris or I, but they haven't. But if they were to, I would say it's a little early yet. Um, I think that this probably should have been addressed right before training camp. Um, now, I guess maybe more than anything, I'm a little bit ticked off because I don't think, yes, Miles Garrett lost $1.2 million in, in lost salary. He was fined. I don't remember how much he was fined for the initial, uh, uh, for the he was fined an initial amount for the initial penalty from back in November and then with the lost salary the lost salary came to 1.2 million in lost earnings um but my problem is is I don't know you know the I think it would have been more of a harsh penalty if the browns were playing for something but since the browns were out of it realistically, after having 18 penalties in week one against the Tennessee Titans, they were pretty much done for the year after week one. I don't give a crap what anybody says. They were rear- they were irrelevant after week one. 18 penalties in a game? <laughs> that's disciplined. And that's, that's the reason why Freddie Kitchens got fired here, folks. It has nothing else to do. Freddie was not ready to be an NFL coach. I just feel I knew that this was going to happen. I think that Miles Garrett should have been ready to play week one. I just have a feeling, and it's my personal belief, and I'll be interested to hear what Chris has to say, but it's my personal belief. And if Chris doesn't believe me, uh, uh, doesn't uh, have the same rhythm on this as me, that's fine. I just feel that uh, it's a little too early. I think they should have, at the very least, waited for the NFL to go to their fiscal year of 2020 which I have found out this week, the NFL new league season starts on March 18th. I think the suspension, if it was going to be rescinded or ended or whatever the term you want to use, should have at the very least waited until the NFL was technically into the 2020 season before they started to talk about reinstating Miles Garrett. I think obviously he was going to get reinstated. He paid a big price for his mistakes. He has said sorry in a way that Jim Crane couldn't, you know, couldn't fathom to do. I believe Miles Garrett when he says he was sorry, he lost his head, made a mistake, he's paid for it, we move on. But I do believe in my heart of hearts, it should have been a little bit later into the calendar year before we started talking about uh, bringing Miles Garrett back. It was going to happen, I get it. But I just think it should have been a little bit later on in the calendar year. That's all I'm saying. Well, if he's going to be on the field for week one, it won't bother me that much that they bring him back. But my concern is this whole thing where he's talking about hearing this word stated 
And nobody else has said that. Even Mike Tomlin, the coach, right. of course, who is black, who uh, the coach of the Steelers said, you know, I never, well, not that I was on the field, but I never heard anything. And he's like, he's released a statement saying something like, you know, you'd think that somebody else would have said something. Nobody right. anywhere on the field or otherwise had talked about that after all of a sudden just Garrett came up with it as an excuse. And it's almost like the type of thing. And it seems like either Garrett thinks he heard that and maybe he heard something else or else it's like he had to come up with something. And now he's almost believing his own story he made up in a way. Now, in fairness, I understand why he did what he did. And I don't think it's because of that. It's because Mason Rudolph tried to rip his helmet off. Right. Right. So to me, it makes sense. If I was in the heat of the moment and some little punk tried to l- take my helmet off, honestly, my reaction that I would want to do, not that I would necessarily do it, I'd have, it depends, I guess, how mad I was, but if some little shit tried to take off my helmet, I would take off his helmet and bash him over the head with it. That makes absolute sense to me. So I totally get that. I wish he wasn't going with this whole thing. And now, of course, Mason Rudolph's lawyer came out now that. Uh, now that this has been stated by Miles Garrett clearly out in public and everything, the lawyer today said, okay, well, now Miles Garrett has opened himself up to legal yeah. proceedings, like, you know, and to slander and all that. Like, he, you can't just walk around libeling somebody like that. And and uh, I've, tr- I've watched the video a bunch of times. I can't see where Rudolph says anything, never mind that. So... It's uh, it's a tough one, and I wish Garrett would just drop that and not proceed with that. And I wish this could be left in the past. Now it's gonna if it goes to court, now it'll drag out and be this thing that lasts forever. Uh, I don't have a problem with him being back for week one. It happened in the heat of the moment, and technically it was kind of started by Mason Rudolph. So uh, you know it'd just be nice to get him back on the field. But even as great as Miles Garrett is on the field, I don't think that that's gonna help the Cleveland Browns because I think we've learned that they're just. Always going to be the Browns, and it. I don't think it's going to change anytime soon. I uh, I tend to agree with you, and a lot of that has to do with the very top of the ladder in Cleveland. And again, I think it goes back to Truck Stop Jimmy. I really do. Truck Stop Jimmy for years was a minor, minority shareholder in the Pittsburgh Steelers. And if he didn't learn anything about how to properly run an NFL franchise for years and years under the Rooney family and, the, and their, and their uh, association, affiliation, ownership of the Pittsburgh Steelers, um, if you weren't going to learn anything there, then you go over and take on the, and, 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 and you buy into and purchase outright the, the dysfunctional family known as the Cleveland Browns. If you didn't learn anything in Pittsburgh about how to properly run an NFL franchise, how are you expected to properly run any team, much less as one as dysfunctional as the Cleveland Browns? And, you know, again, it always it always comes back to the fans for me in Cleveland. The F- Cleveland fans deserve better than truck stop Jimmy and his wife, D. They really do. I, I will say that till the day I die, the fans of Cleveland deserve better, better ownership, and, and, you know, think about it this way. In Cleveland themselves, it's wonder they win anything at all when you've got owners. The basketball team is owned by that idiot. Oh, what's his name? Uh, we make fun of him all the time. Uh, the owner of the Cleveland Cavaliers went to Michigan State, wanted to hire Tom Izzo for I years. I remember him and... And I know I'm having a I'm drawing a blank right now. Yeah, so am I. I'm driving. Drawing I actually a blank. I actually like the fact that I have forgotten the name of. The yeah, okay. Well, then maybe we're doing the, something right. But ownership in Cleveland minus minus the Indians. Ownership in Cleveland, it's it's you know. But 
The um, I did want to talk about this while we're talking, and, and we're in the National Football League, and I was talking about this last week when I was listening to uh, one of our episodes in my office this week. Um, I had the whole staff listening to an unscripted episode. Oh, this that's week. fun! You yeah, tell me about that. They were like, "You do this?" I said, "God, you sound good." And I said, "Yeah, well, Chris is the glue." Um, <laughs> FYI, the new league year in the National Football League does start, as I mentioned earlier, on March 18th this season. Um, according to the bylaws of the National Football League, you can begin negotiating with other teams' free agents on March the 16th. That is such bullshit. It is the most overlooked rule in sports. Perfect case example. Uh, University of Miami tight end from years ago, and he's in his 30s now, but he played college ball at the University at the U, University of Miami, Greg Olson, originally was with the Chicago Bears, has spent the last, I believe, eight, nine, ten years with the Carolina Panthers. Um, he was released from his contract or will not be, whatever. He was let go by the the Panthers. They want to go a different way at tight end. And again, I go back to this rule that says the league year starts on March the 18th. You can begin negotiating with other teams' free agents on March 16th. Well, that is such bullshit because Greg Olson came out this week and says, oh, I'm negotiating right now with three teams. I'm negotiating with the Buffalo Bills, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Washington Redskins. The connectivity with the Redskins, obviously, is Ron Rivera is the new coach in Washington. I just, why do we have these stupid rules on the books when they're getting walked over, you know, like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, like the hookers in Subic Bay, that's down in the Philippines when the Navy comes in after being on the ship for six months. Um, it's just getting walked over. I mean, there's no even there's there's no penalty for it. A guy comes out and says, "I'm talking to three teams right now." I just will never believe in my life that uh, you know we have these rules if they're not being if they're not being uh, you know uh, policed. I guess is the word. Um, but let me tell you, folks. If Greg Olson is having conversations with three teams, I truly believe that guys like Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, Drew Brees, Jadavian Clowney, all these guys that are the prevalent free agents starting March the 18th, I would bet my last dollar, and I'm pretty close to my last dollar, let me tell you, I bet my last dollar that all of these guys are having conversations with somebody. Oh, for sure. I mean, really... I know you'd want it to start while the playoffs are still going or something, but official free agency should start the day after the Super Bowl. Agreed. No question. Just And just none of this, oh, economy, this... No. It's like, yeah, you let the guys win the Super Bowl and celebrate that that night, have a great party. Next day, it's fucking back to work, right. and let's talk about free agency, and then you get rid of all this crap here. It's just ridiculous, and I'm so tired of this, and, you know, what was that in basketball with you know magic johnson having secret meetings with lebron with Kawhi, or, whatever, or, with Kawhi Kawhi or whatever yeah, it was absolutely. yeah and it's yeah. like come on like fuck off we're again the you know the sports world thinks they're so smart and we're so stupid when yeah. when really if they suddenly had to play by the rules all of a sudden boy they certainly wouldn't be so good anymore not that they're even most of them are even good at their job now so it's just ridiculous let's move on sounds good to me um oh yeah um, just to stay constant, uh, Major League Pitchers and Catchers reported this week. Oh, I know we're good. all excited about it. That's good. Oh, by the way, I just wanted to say something about the uh, about the free agency. 
the Indianapolis Colts have such a, a great promising team, so much good stuff going on there, and they have tons and tons of money to spend. Yeah. It's an it's I mean, they were like that with Andrew Luck. Then he right. retires and then they've got like just unbelievable amounts of money. That team should sign, and I know you're kind of down on this quarterback now, but I think this team should sign Philip Rivers and Jadevian Clowney, and I think they're a serious, a serious team at that point. I really do. With that amazing O line, I mean, Rivers had no O line for a while. You would right. get maybe the best O line in the league, good running backs, uh, at least one okay receiver. They could they could use another receiver for sure. But man, and then a, a decent defense. And you put Clowney on there. I I just really think the Colts are just. You know, give them a good quarterback, throw Clowney on there. They got so much money to spend and such good stuff going on. Honestly, I just, I think, I think that this is the time. They got Frank Reich, a great coach. I think that Jim Mersey, speaking of shitty owners, he's got such a good thing here. If I was him, it's all in right now for the next couple seasons and just try and go for the Super Bowl right now. Well, I'll tell you one thing that I did hear this weekend or this week, um, I may have a job, but I always keep my ear to the ground. Um, I heard that um, they were, these guys were were uh, putting free agents in different cities. And the one when you said, when you started talking about putting Phillip Rivers in Indianapolis, I actually agree with that. I think that is the, the calming influence that they need. And then Ja'Cory Brissett can learn from a Phillip Rivers uh, I totally agree with that one. I really do. I think thinking about that over the week, because last week I had put Philip Rivers in Tampa Bay, but I think it's a better fit for him in Indianapolis with that offensive line. But the one thing that I wanted to make you aware of is that this one guy was, I don't remember who the hell it is, but is it their left tackle, Costanzo? Anthony Costanzo, yeah, yeah. He's, the, he's the left tackle. They have him going potentially as a free agent to... Cleveland and that would that would take a little bit of that security blanket away for whoever's playing oh, well, quarterback for uh, Indianapolis well then their top priority becomes a new left tackle because when you have an elite O-line like that yeah. put together you can't let it erode you Correct. want to, you want to keep it going Correct. and and not only is that a great O-line but it's durable like none of their guys miss right. games right Costanzo I don't he's I feel like he must be getting old at this point like he's been around for a while but maybe maybe he's not I don't know it might be one of those where you think he's been around forever and he hasn't but uh if he does go they should really try to keep him but if they if they lose him, they really need to go hard on a left tackle. Yeah. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Like maintain the O line number one. But when you have all this money, yeah, like let's let's go. Like let's let's spend the money and get Rivers and Clowney and, and whatever else we need for sure. And I also heard that uh, one forecaster was predicting that Jadavian Clowney will end up in Baltimore. And the reason there is Baltimore has been de- has been decimated by free agency defections the last couple of years because they were so talented on defense. Guys like Zadarius Smith end up in Green Bay and, and other places. Mosley ends up in New York and yada, yada. But and this was a great point by this forecaster. I, I have to give him credit. I wish I remembered his name, but I don't. But anyway, he had put Clowney in Baltimore because they are still on the rookie contract for the quarterback. And then they would have more availability yeah. via the cap if to sign a clowny now and make that Super Bowl run while they're still paying Jackson 
on his rookie deal. And that's a great point. That's the, the lesson we should have learned from seeing Seattle win the Super Bowl, Kansas City win the Super Bowl with guys on their rookie deals. That's the time to do it. If you are fortunate enough to draft a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes and they're just instantly fantastic and you get them on a rookie deal, yes, you go all in on a Super Bowl. You now have that with Lamar Jackson, even though he's had a couple of tough games in the playoffs the last couple of years. He's clearly proved in the regular season he's the real deal. So, look, uh, Baltimore, absolutely. Anyone can use Jadevian Clowney, first of all. Let's just make it clear right. that if it wasn't for Butchin, no one else would have let Clowney go. First overall pick in 2014, he's been fantastic. Like, no one else would have traded him for anything, realistically, never mind a third-round pick and a ham sandwich or whatever the fuck idiot face did there. But Clowney should not be just bouncing around for the highest bidder at this point. The fact that he is is ludicrous. But, yes, you could make the case for any team, but Baltimore, excellent point there, Mike. Yeah, when you've got Lamar Jackson and he showed what he can do this year and he's going to be on the rookie deal for a while, you go all in on a Super Bowl if you are the Baltimore Ravens. That's not even a question. We do have to make note as we say hello and hope everything is well in your little corner of the world as we are broadcasting and producing our 461st episode of Unscripted this afternoon. We welcome you. Hope again. Hope all is well. Um, the big NBA news this weekend is they are celebrating All-Star Weekend festivities at the United Center in Chicago. Um, the Friday night All-Star, Friday night, whatever they call it, festivities from Chicago. The biggest thing, obviously, to me, I didn't watch a lot of it because the celebrity game was a bunch of overweight guys that clearly had no skill on how to play the game basketball and it was at a different facility than the United Center and you had uh, Michael Wilbon from ESPN coaching against Stephen A from Mm -hmm. from uh, uh, ESPN so I didn't bother much with the celebrity game I watched a little bit of the rising stars game and what I got most out of that was simply this Zion Williamson is still fat (laughs) he is he, he still trembles when he's going up and down the floor. And I've said this ad nauseum, that he's a guy that could, if he doesn't watch and maintain his body, he's going to end up to be a younger, fatter Charles Barkley. I've said it before. I'll say it again because I saw him last night in his New Orleans jersey, and he looked heavy. But regardless, he can still jump. And the highlight to me from last night's Rising Stars game that was won by the USA team, 151 to 131, is that Zion Williamson dunked the ball so hard at this game that he bent the basket. That was the highlight for me. Well, to paraphrase a famous mom joke, when Zion Williamson hangs around the arena, he really hangs around the arena. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, I don't know, I just thought to do that. (laughs) But the big news, obviously, from Friday night uh, at the All-Star Weekend festivities, they had uh, made mention of the... Uh, list of the potential inductees into the Basketball Hall of Fame for the year 2020. And they these guys are scheduled for enshrinement on October, excuse me, August the 29th in Springfield, Massachusetts. And the headliners, obviously, these guys are locks to get in. These three guys are locks. Put them in now. You can make their bust. You can carve in their name. You can do whatever you got to do for NBA uh enshrinement into the basketball hall of fame but the the headliners kobe bryant tim duncan kevin garnett those three slam dunks i don't know who else is on the list i don't care who else is on the list those three are in 
and it just seems to be apropos as we sit here three weeks three weeks removed from the death of Kobe Bryant. But there is there's only to me again using my father. My father always says there's only two things in life that are that are inevitable that happen every year, and that's death and taxes. And I think it's inevitable that at least of this 2020 class of inductees into the Basketball Hall of Fame, three slam dunks, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, they will be in Springfield, Massachusetts on August 29th to receive their, I guess, enshrinement into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Yeah, that Kobe Bryant thing is going to be a... Oh, God. Wow, that's going to be quite the event there. Uh, Geez, I just don't remember that many... uh, tributes and all that that were paid to him and maybe it's partly because he died so young but yeah i guess we're gonna see it all again here whatever they have planned and i feel kind of bad for tim duncan and the others here so do i it's a great point you know what i mean like i i honestly if if these guys get overshadowed yeah oh i think the right thing to do here would be to make it so only kobe gets in this year you still induct Tim Duncan and the rest of them next year, you can still, you could make it an extra long one next year and, and do your best to really give them all their due. But all anyone's going to be talking about or thinking about is Kobe. Like, I feel bad. I feel like Tim Duncan, who is already not the loudest guy in the world, he's going to go up there and people are going to be chanting like, chanting for Kobe. Or like, someone's going to yell, we love you, Kobe, in the middle of Tim's speech. It's going to be wow. ridiculous, you know. I think you'd have to do it as a as a bigger thing next year. And I know that they could be overshadowed next year if there's too many people getting in at once next year. Maybe you defer a couple of them to next year and even it out. But look, I, I mean, I, or I mean, maybe if there's if you consider some of these guys like they're just not going to get much hype no matter what, maybe put them there. But at least Tim Duncan, at the very least, I would I would defer him to next year and make this. Uh, you know, if you're inducting, or especially if you were inducting maybe some guys from 60 years ago or something, it's like, okay, you put them into and whatever. But uh, this has to be the Kobe Bryant uh, enshrinement. And uh, this is, yeah, it's going to be kind of sad seeing everything else overshadowed. And that's all anyone's going to be thinking about. Everyone's going to be wearing purple and gold if they go there. And that's all. So I, I, I feel bad for Tim Duncan and the others. Um, also, um, as we sit here at the, even though it's past the midway point of the NBA season, it's kind of still seen as the midway point in the NBA's season. And, um, so I have a couple of awards to hand out as we are sitting here at the all-star break in Chicago. In my mind, I'll just go through these real quick. Just something off the top of my head. I have the MVP race down to three three guys. And I am not afraid to say that James Harden is not one of my three. I'm sorry. If the season ended today, I would vote for one of these three people, one of these three players as league MVP. And obviously it's Giannis. The Bucks are 46 and eight at the All-Star break, folks. Enough said. Uh, LeBron James uh, resurrected the Los Angeles Lakers to 38 and 12 at the All-Star break, pretty damn impressive. And a young stud that I think is going to win multiple MVPs before his career is over. And this young man has really been uh, 
He's astonishing. I've watched this kid play a lot of basketball. He played last night in the Rising Stars game. We'll play Sunday in the big All-Star game. I'm talking about Luka Doncic from the Dallas Mavericks. Those would be my three finalists for the MVP. Rookie of the year, I'm going with the kid from Memphis, Jay Morant. I think that's how you say his name. Not quite sure. He's been spectacular. Obviously, everybody would have given it to the fat boy if he had played most of the season, but the fat boy, meaning Zion Williamson, has only been back a couple of weeks. And overall, Morant has been excellent out there in Memphis. And look at it this way. A team that's supposed to be rebuilding, and if the season ended today, the eighth seed in the Western Conference would be the Memphis Grizzlies, and a lot of that has to do with the point guard, Jay Morant. So congratulations to him. If I have a coach of the year, you know, a lot of people are going to say, well, Mike's going to say Budenholzer because it's Milwaukee. No, I'm going with Nick Nurse from the Toronto Raptors. What he has done, besides losing Kawhi Leonard to free agency, over the course of this year, at different times in the season, he's lost Pasquale Siakam, Fred Van Fleet twice, He's lost the point guard, uh, Kyle Lowry, twice. And he's lost his center twice with different injuries. Marc Gasol, all three times, or all those players at different times throughout this season. And yet, just before the All-Star break, the Toronto Raptors finally lost after winning 15 games in a row. And they've closed within four games of the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference. I believe Nick Nurse should win Coach of the Year, hands down. And if you're to give an Executive of the Year, I truly believe that you've got to look at the Los Angeles Clippers for what they did, pulling off the trade to get Paul George to the Southland, obviously signing Kawhi Leonard and getting him home to the Southland. But here was a team that a lot of people believe have championship aspirations, and yet they were able to bring in Marcus Morris Jr. or Sr., whatever the hell it is, from the New York Knicks, where the Lakers couldn't make a deal at the trading deadline, the Bucks couldn't make a deal at the trading deadline. The only guy that did was Lawrence Frank and a combination of Jerry West. The executive of the year for me would be Lawrence Frank, the de facto general manager of the Los Angeles Clippers. He's done a fine job. I think that Doc Rivers should be considered for coach of the year with having to deal with the load management bullshit of Kawhi Leonard and the ongoing injuries from... Paul George, they haven't had a full lineup this year with the Clippers, except for maybe 10 games in this whole first half, and yet the Clippers are right there. So um, should be an exciting second half of the season. Looking forward to the skills competition tonight, the three-point shooting, the skills competition where they dribble around and pass, and but obviously the big marquee item is the dunk contest. But as for the game itself, I don't give a damn. I never watch the All-Star game. I just think it's ridiculous. It's overdone. It's just a glorified scrimmage. And, you know, if they're not going to play defense and they're not going to try except to the, the best moves to the basket, and that's fine. It's entertainment. It just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, I don't think anyone gives a shit about the actual All-Star game itself. And as we saw the Young Stars game, how like they're literally stepping out of the way to make sure they're not going to be in the way whatsoever it's it's too much honestly and I don't think anyone's excited about it yeah some people will watch the three-point shooting or the dunk contest that's fine but there's something else I wanted to bring up about the NBA too and get your thoughts on it and you brought it up briefly there and, and we've talked about it so much and it's load management and I wanted to propose this to you and see what your thoughts are I would like to propose and posit the idea and the argument that load management 
is a byproduct and a side effect of too many teams making the playoffs. And I hate to say that because I like when lots of teams make the playoffs. I like lots of fan bases getting to see their team be in the playoffs. And I I really like that. And I especially hate it in baseball, especially how baseball used to be. You play so many regular season games. Like if you spread it out even over the course of the entire calendar year, it's one game every two days. It's, It's ridiculous how many games you actually play in major league baseball and then before it was like hardly anyone would make it you finish second in your division with a hundred wins and you miss the playoffs 1990 sorry but the 1993 san francisco giants win 101 games and the atlanta braves at that time were in the west division of the national league which is stupid which is stupid in and of itself but the san francisco giants that year in 19 dusty baker was a manager i want to say 1993 the Braves win the division by winning 103 games, and the and the uh, Giants, San Francisco Giants, end up second place, 101 wins, and their season's over. Yeah, that's and, ridiculous, and that's totally ridiculous, especially after going through that many games. And so we don't want that. And I, I was, I've always said that baseball should have more teams make the playoffs there. But uh, you know, and I mean, with pitchers, I guess inherently have load management because they can't go every day or whatever. But I have to say, I just hate to say it so much. But I think that that's where we're at, because anything else I've thought of just doesn't really make sense. It's not going to be enough of a deterrent for this load management stuff. I like the points you've made in the past that, look, these are people going to the game. A lot of these people are not season ticket holders. They're some kid who gets to go to a game once, and people are driving a bunch of hours each way. And then you go, and then LeBron's on the bench, or Kawhi's on the bench or something. And it's just like, hey, I, I really, you know, this is a special thing for me and my kid, and we don't get to see it. I have to say, I think we have to make it so that less teams make the playoffs or are assured of a playoff spot at least. And I think that would really quickly, if you did it, you know, strictly enough, I have to imagine that would get rid of load management. Your thoughts? You know, I got to applaud you. Um, I've always applauded your smarts and your intelligence, but this is really, I never thought of this. And I, 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 I don't have to at this point blow smoke up your backside, but I'm going to right now because I think that's a hell of an idea, and I applaud you for that. Um, I never thought of it. Um, I think you've hit it on a thousand percent. I, you know, um, I've always looked at it monetarily, and I've always looked at it in regard to, like Chris just said, you know, you drive six hours to watch your favorite team and you want to go with the specific idea of seeing if you're going to see the Philadelphia 76ers, you want to see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in the lineup, or you're going to see the Los Angeles Clippers. And obviously you want to see Kawhi Leonard. Um, Obviously there's a lot of people that are on the, on the side of load management because look what the Toronto Raptors did with load management last year. But here's why load management worked so well last year for the Toronto Raptors. They had an unbelievably deep bench, yes. and they had guys, and 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 that bench has even been lengthened this year in Toronto with all the injuries that I talked about. And you've got guys like this Davis kid coming off the bench, and this Chris Boucher kid off the bench. Never heard of him. Matt something coming off the bench and scoring twenty five points when the, when the Raptors were just in this fifteen game winning streak. They were able to make load management work because Masai Ujiri put a hell of a bench together for Nick Nurse to utilize. And Nick Nick Nurse has shown 
me at least, that he knows how to handle a deep bench and keep everybody happy, give everybody a good amount of run to keep them fresh, and when they're called upon, they're ready to go. So that's another reason why I believe Nick Nurse is the NBA's coach of the year. Um, I love your analogy. I'm, a bo- I'm, a, I'm behind it a 1,000%. There's no incentive, in my opinion, in the NBA to do anything about it because and here's the thad here's here's what's really sad to me there are going to be two teams i'm going to tell you right now there are going to be two teams in the eastern conference of the nba that are going to get in to the postseason the top eight with losing records and there's going to be one team in the west the eighth team is going to come in with a losing record i guarantee it and that pisses me off because at the very bare minimum your prerequisite to see postseason in any sport that you're in should require an above 500 record. I don't give a flying rat's ass what sport it is. You should not be rewarded for playing four, 475 percentage. you got to be a 500% team, 500 or above. Below 500 to me is mediocrity, and it's rewarding mediocrity, and I have a problem with that. And you know what? I, again, I have said to you, to your face on our program. And when you're not in the room, when people ask about you and they ask about unscripted with me, you're the brains that, that make this thing go. We know that, but that was a beautiful analogy. I agree with you a thousand percent. And I would like, if we're going to have this mediocrity, then let's cut it to six teams. 12 is a workable number. 12 is a workable number. And then we cut down on the length of the goddamn basketball season too. Um, I think we'd have a lot less problems with load management if there were only six teams that are getting into the postseason. Because again, you're rewarding the New Jersey in the, in the Eastern Division of the NBA or Eastern Conference, you're rewarding the Brooklyn Nets and the Orlando Magic for being shitty, for being the best of the shit. Conversely, in the Western Division, you're, you're rewarding potentially the Memphis Grizzlies, the Sacramento Kings, um, the Minnesota Timberwolves for being the best of the shitty. And let's eliminate that. And then I ultimately think you eliminate some of the load management crap because A, that puts more emphasis on winning regular season games. Kudos to you, sir. Well, thank you. But in fairness, give yourself some credit there because you added to what I said there. I hadn't even thought about the importance of the bench and what, you know, load management is one problem with the league. The other problem with the league is that the big cities and the big markets are basically just buying two or three really good players and that's all you need. This fixes that too. If you can actually put together a great bench like the Toronto Raptors and you have a Kawhi Leonard and you want to load manage him because you have 10 or 11 or 12 really good NBA players that you've somehow got all at the same time between signing and trading and drafting and whatever and you have somehow got them all on the team under the cap at the same time, that is just fantastic. And yeah, if, if you can win with your bench, if you can be one of the top teams in the league with your bench, absolutely, go for it then. That's amazing. But at that point, if you have guys that are winning consistently, like a Fred Van Vliet or guys like that, 
at that point, those guys are becoming stars. And those are someone that a young kid might want to see when they go there. Maybe they really want to see Kawhi more, but you're, you're building stars there. You're building the game. You're making it so that there are more stars in the league. Everybody wins. It's really, really great. I hadn't even thought about how important that was. And if you do that, and if you have teams, you know, having to really focus on the importance of their bench... And then teams, oh, wait a minute, maybe this is a better way to do it than just having three guy, three good guys and a bunch of scrubs. So I think that could be really good for the game too. So, hey, give yourself some credit. That, uh, that was actually really good. I hadn't thought about the benefit of killing the big three and how important benches are. And I think teams should be rewarded for drafting and developing or signing the right guys on the cheap, getting good depth players and having a good bench. I think that's all really important. So give yourself some credit, well, Mike. You're not just a hat rack. <laughs> I got to say this. One of the reasons that the Milwaukee Bucks are 48 and 6 at the All-Star break is because they have developed a hell of a bench as well. And this is the most in regard to this, this is the most apropos stat I can throw at you. The Milwaukee Bucks go into this All-Star break as I mentioned now third time that they go in with an NBA best record of 48 and 6. But here's the one that's most telling to me. They've played six games this year without Giannis Antetokounmpo, their best player by far. And yet, for a team that's 48-6, and six, they are 5-1 and one this year without Giannis. So the Bucs have proven. And that, last, that first loss without Giannis just happened Wednesday night in Indianapolis against the Pacers. And um, because of guys on the Milwaukee bench like George Hill, Pat Connaughton, Sterling Brown, uh, Robin Lopez, Ursan Ilyasova. That's why the Milwaukee Bucks are 48 and six. And that's why the Milwaukee Bucks have proven this year that even without number 34, Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Milwaukee Bucks can still win basketball games. And that's again, has played a huge reason why the Milwaukee Bucks are 48 up and six down at the all-star break. We've got a run on this. Uh, hold on. Talk amongst yourselves. 461 or 400. And 61st episode, a lot of good things to talk about, and we still have a couple of good shows yet to do this week with a lot of things to talk about in those, so I look forward to getting to episodes 462 and 463 before we get out of here on this Saturday afternoon in a sunny Calgary. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.